Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is what the Word of God says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What I am about to tell you I know is absolutely 100% true because I learned it on the internet. In Florence, Italy, there is a game. A game that is played that is basically a cross between rugby and mixed martial arts. There are 54 players on in the arena at a time, 27 on each team. The goal, like rugby, is to get the ball from one end to the other, to a goal that stretches the width of the field. And so you're just, you're trying to, you, it's more like soccer. You can kind of launch it at the goal and get it in there. You get a point for every goal that you score. The, the mixed martial arts part comes in is that the way your team clears a path to that goal is basically by any means necessary. Punching, kicking, tackling, wrestling, you name it, you can do it to try and clear a path to your goal. Of course, the other team is doing the same thing, trying to clear a path to you if you are the lucky one that happens to have the ball in your hands. The game is so violent that there's only three matches played a year because there are only four teams. Because you can only play in this game if you are born in Florence and you can only play for the district in which you are born. And so two matches happen. The winner of those matches play in the championship match. And then once the championship match happens, you get the grand prize of... No money. Back when this game originally started, they would, you were gifted a cow. Your team was gifted a cow. You'd slaughter it and everybody would feast. Now you still get a cow, but it just walks across the stage all dressed up and then goes back home. Now you're wondering, how does this connect to Acts and what in the world are we doing talking about Florence, Italy and people beating each other up? Because as I was watching one documentary about this particular game, the question came up, why in the world would you participate in this game if there is no financial compensation? Why in the world would you submit yourself to this type of uh, intense training and then to this type of brutality where broken bones and fractured noses and things are a normal part of this game? And men that look like someone you would not want to meet in a dark alley men who look like they have been in many bar fights and won all of them, men who some have tattoos on every part of their body, I think, said things like this. I love this tradition because I love Florence. I love my district. I love our color. We have to live this tradition to really understand why we do it. It's not for the love of money. And finally, one man said this, and it just stood out to me so clearly. He said, it gives me story. A meaningful life. 
He paused for a moment and he said, sure, money is important, but having a story is more important. As we read the book of Acts, as we've been looking here as a church, we come to our story. What we find here and what, and maybe you saw as we even read this passage this morning, we find roots to our story. Now that is not to say that this story has us as the centerpiece. We're not the main character of it, but these are our roots. This is, this is our story and understanding our story is so incredibly important. As this guy said, whose biceps were bigger than my thighs. Money is nice. Yeah, it's, it's important. But story is way, way more important. As we come this morning to this passage, to this story, I think that um, we see flowing out of uh, the moment at Pentecost, what we find is this, that you and I are connected in this story in this way, that we are part of a Jesus-planted, Spirit-produced, upward-facing, inward-caring, and outward-reaching community. hope you got all that the first time. I'm not going to say it now, I'm just joking. We are part of a Jesus-planted, Spirit-produced, upward-facing, inward-caring, and outward-reaching community. I want to walk through each of those as we look at this text together. First of all, we are a Jesus-planted community. This community that we see here in this passage was Jesus-planted. Now, that's part of the context, right? This group of people that we have been talking about in the book of Acts from the very beginning was a group of people that started with those who had been following Jesus. Those who had been following Jesus, we know, were those whom he had called out, his his twelve, minus Judas, who's now been replaced. But we also know that those who have begun following Jesus are are all coming together not because uh, it was just the cultural thing to do. Some of us, as, as we were students of Scripture, we know that uh, Jesus' day and time and the time of the book of Acts, that, that community it was much more of a communal culture than ours is. And so we can look back and we can see community and we can think, well, that's just, that was just natural for them. But remember the type of people and remember the, the, the different types of people that surrounded Jesus. They didn't come together naturally. I mean, just think about the disciples that Jesus brought together. Now, some of them were connected, but many of them were not connected. Think about all the different types of people that were gathering around Jesus. Men, women, young, old, different socioeconomic levels and all of these things gathering around. And the sole reason they have created this community of sorts is because of Jesus. That's it. That's the sole reason that they're together. It's not that they all share the same political views or that they all like to do the same hobbies. That's not it. It's only because of Jesus. And that group, the group that witnessed um, his ascension up into heaven, is the group that he says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And where We find out earlier in Acts that it's about 120 people who are waiting there. So Jesus is the one who's birthed this group. This is not a group, even though their society might have been more of a communal society, this is not one that we should look at and go, well, of course they did community because that was part of their culture. Not this kind of community. These disciples, these followers of Jesus are together because Jesus has brought them together and tells them to wait there. So it's a Jesus-planted community, but it's a spirit-produced community community. Why do we say that? Because the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. 
What Jesus had told them to wait for, the coming of the Holy Spirit has happened. The Spirit has fallen. And it's, there's no doubt the Spirit has fallen. We see all of these signs that accompany it. They've experienced this, the rushing mighty sound of a mighty rushing wind, things like tongues of fire above their heads, speaking of the mighty works of God in different languages, and then Peter preaching this Spirit-filled sermon. So the Spirit has been poured out now. And what they know, they've witnessed this, and what they know is that, as Luke records in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the Spirit wasn't just poured out on some of them, not just the smartest among them, the oldest among them, the most intelligent of them, just the disciples. It specifically says the Spirit came on all of them. And they witnessed that. They saw the little tongue of fire thing above other people's heads. They heard each other declaring the wonderful works of God in other languages, they had witnessed this happening. We know that the community is bigger than it was before because in verse 41 of chapter 2, it says, so those who received His Word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, we don't have a time reference here with the, our passage this morning, verses 42 through 47. So were these, was this following right up behind uh, this preaching of the sermon? Is that what Luke is describing here? Possibly. Was there some time? Possibly. So were all these 3,000 still there? Well, we know these people didn't all live in Jerusalem. So many of them may have gone home. But we can certainly, we certainly know that this community that's here is a community that's larger than the one that we've seen already of those who are staying there in Jerusalem. Now what's interesting is that Jesus told them to wait, right? He told them to wait, this group that he had planted, he told them to wait for the coming of the Spirit, and now the Spirit has come. And instead of the Spirit coming and them going their own separate ways, what happens? Instead of the Spirit coming and them saying, well, that's what we were waiting for, Right? I mean, we all got together because uh, we were following Jesus. He's gone. <laughs> and now we were waiting for the Spirit because He told us to wait for the Spirit. Now the Spirit's here. So it was nice hanging out with you guys, but I got the Spirit. And uh, I'm just going to go back to my house, sit in my recliner, catch up on some crossword puzzles. No. In fact, instead of it being this Jesus-planted community that breaks up when the Spirit comes, what we see is that the Spirit draws them in even deeper. As the Spirit comes, this community, instead of splitting apart, seems to become even more connected. Instead of scattering, they draw in. Now, there are multiple reasons for this as the Spirit works, but this, this Spirit-based community, the Spirit-produced community, I think one of the reasons that this happens is because, as I mentioned, they know that the Spirit of God not only indwells them, but they've seen the physical manifestation of the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in the other people who have believed in Christ. If you have kids, you've experienced this in your life, that you... Either tell your child to go look for something. You're trying to leave. They can only find one shoe. Go find your other shoe. Okay. I can't find it. I don't know where it is. Well, it's probably not on the ceiling. A little later, they're looking in the fridge. I don't think it's in the fridge. Right? 
Or they come to you, I can't find my dolly. I don't know where my dolly went. I just I can't find it. You walk into their room, right in the middle of the floor. Dolly, right there. I know when we talk about the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, a Spirit-produced community, we can get to feel a little nervous, you know? What are we, where are we going here? What's going to happen? And some of the reason that that can happen is because when we start talking about the Spirit and a Spirit-produced community, we can, we can come up with some really weird ideas. And if you were to ask people, hey, how do you find the Spirit? How do you find where the Spirit is working and what the Spirit is doing? If you just went out and asked a lot of Christians that, you might get a lot of really interesting answers. You might end up becoming kind of a, a, a spiritual Indiana Jones, searching under every rock, looking around every tree to try and find where the Spirit is at and what the Spirit is doing. Now listen to me. The Spirit of God is at work in more places, doing more than you and I could possibly conceive at all times. But here's what the Word of God clearly says to us, and these believers knew is that the Spirit of God indwelt the people of God. And if they wanted to be around where the Spirit was, and if they wanted to be around what the Spirit was doing, one of the sure places they could do that was to be with God's people. This morning as you came in, hopefully you shook some people's hands, you said hello to somebody. I'm not trying to guilt you if you just ran to your seat and sat down. Some of us are scary. As you think about the people who are in this room right now with you, if you think about the fact that there are people surrounding you right now who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have received His forgiveness by grace through faith, this is what Scripture says. It says that that person that's sitting there next to you or near you is a spirit-indwelt individual. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, as I thought about that this week, it is absolutely incredible to me. Because I can so easily gather here and we can come together here and I can be concerned about so many things and I can be more annoyed by some of the people who show up than excited about some of the people who show up and I can fail to consider the fact that the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. And that as I come across believers, I am coming across people based on what the Word of God tells me who are indwelt with the Spirit of God and in whom the Spirit of God is working. That's incredible. I think one of the reasons that they, one of the reasons that they come together and they stay together is because they know the Spirit of God is indwelling each and every one of them and it draws them in towards each other. Among the many places that the Spirit of God is at work, we can be absolutely assured of the fact that the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God. So as we come together, we come together because the Spirit of God indwells each and every one of us who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a Jesus-planted, Spirit-produced, upward-facing community. Upward facing. I know some of you are freaked out because basically we haven't even started talking about the text yet. What we're there now. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. That, that word devoted, it, it's meant to say not just they did it once, but this was an ongoing thing. 
The word actually shows up again and the ESV doesn't translate it in verse 46 where it says day by day attending the temple. There's actually continually, they, they were doing this. It's the same word, devoted. They were devoting themselves continually to this. This is one of the reasons that I would say this community didn't come together just naturally or culturally, right? You don't have to devote yourself to something you do naturally. I'm going to devote myself to blinking this week. It's going to take a lot of work, but I think I can do it. Right? No, I, you do that already. You don't need to devote yourself to it. They're devoting themselves to this community because it's not one that was formed naturally. It was one that was formed, planted by Christ, produced by the Spirit. And what do they devote themselves to? Well, the first thing it says, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles teaching about? Well, we have one sermon that we've gone through already in Peter And it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished. We'll come to another sermon in chapter 3 from Peter at the temple. And we'll find again that it all centers on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he said and what he did, what he accomplished. In fact, the religious leaders uh, expressed their annoyance for the teaching of these apostles in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4 where it says in verse 2 that they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This teaching wasn't about five steps to, uh, I don't know, uh, the Moses diet and how you can drop some weight. This was not This was not it. It was not how you can be more organized. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. This teaching was upward facing. It was about Christ, what they had learned from Him, and passing that on to those who had come to faith in Christ. Not only are they committed to the apostles' teaching, but they're also committed to the prayers. It says at the end of verse 42. Now the prayers is is an interesting way of stating things. It probably means that this was a combination both of set prayers and spontaneous prayers. Set prayers were a normal part of Judaism. They had set prayers that they would go through and, and likely they continued many of those. Not only that, but they had a, an example prayer that Jesus had given his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray, and they, they perhaps were using that. But there was probably spontaneous prayer that's included in this. And so they're committed. Again, this is part of that upward facing. They're, they're committed to the apostles' teaching, but also they as a community are upward facing in that they are acknowledging their dependence upon God and his sovereignty over all things. Now, I wonder where they got this thought that even though they are now spirit-indwelt people, they would still need to depend on God the Father. Well, I don't know. Maybe they saw that in Christ, right? A spirit-empowered individual working to accomplish the will of God totally dependent upon God the Father. This is, this is what we see. In, and in Luke's first account in his gospel, we see this in Christ that over and over again he's seen praying, spirit-empowered, seeking to accomplish the will of the Father, but yet constantly in prayer, crying out to the Father. And so they're praying. They're praying together. What are they praying about? Well, it doesn't tell us, but I think probably one of the things they're praying about is the fact that God has given them this insane task. Right? Before Jesus left, he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
Now, you and I this morning, if we just think about the task for us, it's still immense. Over three billion people have yet to hear the gospel. Three billion people. Just to help you comprehend how many that is, if you right now were to start counting, never sleep, never eat, count one number per second, it would take you over 31 years to count to one billion. 31 years just to get to one billion. There are over 3.2 billion people in the world who have yet to hear of Christ. And many of them, if they wanted to hear of Christ, they couldn't. Now imagine how much more immense that task gets if Baraka Bible Church was the only church on planet Earth. You see, until the Spirit came, they were like those students who got the syllabus that said there's a big project coming, but you need to wait for the instructions from the professor, and so they could just put it off. I don't have the instructions. Can't do anything. I just wait, right? Then you get the instruction, and it's like, oh. Now the Spirit has come. And there's this immense task. How in the world is this going to be accomplished? How is this little group of people? I mean, I know we, we read that verse 41 and we go, 3,000 people, that's incredible. This is the only church. I think they're praying because they have an immense task. I also think they're praying because they are absolutely certain that Christ is coming again. And as we see at the beginning of the book of Acts, certainly one of the things they're praying about, one of the things that Jesus taught them to pray about was the coming of the kingdom. I imagine in their minds that they're certain Christ is going to return at any moment. And they're praying as he taught them to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. The other thing we see later on in our passage is that this is a, a, a people who are praising God in this upward facing the end of verse 46 says that they were glad and generous of heart or sincere in heart and that they were praising God. Giving thanks to God. As a community, together, giving praise to God, they are spirit-indwelt people who are upward-facing. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is all about Christ, what He's done and accomplished. They're devoting themselves to prayer as they submit to the sovereignty of God and acknowledge their need for Him. And they gather together to give expression to their thankfulness and praise to God for His great salvation and His ongoing work in their lives. Do you notice anything? Do you see any connections here between what we've already been doing this morning and what we see recorded here in the book of Acts? Luke is describing what happens. And I, I want to be clear, Luke, Luke's not telling us, mandating for us, this is exactly what it's supposed to look like. Some people want to go back to this passage and treat it like this is the utopia of the church and what we need to get back to, and that's not it. That's not what Luke is describing. But what we do see here is we see some of our roots. The first time I came to understand this, it was so encouraging to me because I grew up in the church and I just thought this is the way we somebody decided we would do things and we've just done them that way and nobody questions it. I mean, why do we all stand and sing at the same time? I do that nowhere else throughout the week, even though I've tried to instill that with my kids sometimes. I tried to sing with Phoebe while I was making popcorn this week. She didn't join in at all. Right? What, what other place do you go to sit and listen to someone talk for so long. Where else do you do that? Where else do you come and bow your head and close your eyes to listen to other people talk? Not even to you. They're not even talking to me. 
They're talking to somebody else. Why do we do these things? Do we make these things up? Did just somebody along the way, some guy with the big beard in church history decided these are the things we should do? No, that's not where it came from. Listen to me, church, that's not where it came from. This is the natural work of the Spirit of God and the Spirit-produced community of God. They were an upward-facing community because someone legislated it, because someone commanded No, because it was the natural work of the Spirit in them. And this has been passed down through church history. And obviously it has different expressions in culture. Right? The way they were doing these things did not look like the way we were doing these things. Now. And the way we do these things does not look like how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who've already gathered together today or who will gather together today to do some of these very things, what it looks like. But nonetheless, do you see, do you see the roots where these things came from? That as the, the Jesus-planted, spirit-produced community comes together, one of the things that it does is it looks upward through prayer, through praise, and through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And let me remind you, again, this is all happening in community. Now listen, I, I understand that we have had some significant challenges in the past couple of years. We have walked through a pandemic with COVID and all of these things. We have technology that allows us to stream uh, all kinds of content. Uh, listen, I know that for many of you, I'm not the only preacher and Justin's not the only preacher that you are aware of or hearing from throughout the week. There are all these other things and all of these ways that, that we can attempt to be upward facing by ourselves. And I hope... Listen to me, I hope that your individual life is upward facing, but you cannot replace an individual upward facing life with a community upward facing life. There is something that is happening as the Spirit of God is working here in Acts, and I believe throughout the book of Acts, and even now in our day and time, there is something that is unique about the work of the Spirit as the people of God gather to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And I believe that there's something unique that happens as the people of God gather together and pray together. Have you ever had that experience? Have you been sitting with a group of other believers and they're praying and something inside of you is ignited by their prayers? Have you long since given up on a request? It might have even been your prayer request. It might be your family member, your friend you've prayed for for so long and you've given up on them coming to faith in Christ. And then you're sitting in a prayer meeting and someone near you raises up their voice and cries out to God on behalf of that family member, that friend, prays for their salvation. And you're reminded in that moment that where you lack faith, God has given it to them and they're praying and interceding for you. Have you ever felt like, if I try to remember all of the prayer requests, even in this small church, I, I'm going to die. I'll just be praying forever. Well, guess what? That's because part of what we do is we, we pray together. I don't remember everything. You don't remember everything. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. We come together and we lift up our voices and God's put things on your heart. He hasn't put on my heart. Not only that, but I, my own life and the testimony that I've heard from many of you Few things stoke my own personal praying life like hearing you pray. I've learned more about praying myself from hearing you all pray 
than I have almost any other place. We gather together, we pray, we gather together and we praise. We sing praises. Listen, I know there's all these streaming services out there and there's all this great music and you can have amazing speakers and all this stuff. And I know that you can lift your voice in your home and I hope your voice sounds way better than mine. And I hope that you are praising God throughout the week in music. I hope that you're giving thanks to Him. But no matter how great the album And no matter how truth-saturated that album is, there is nothing that can replace the beauty of gathering together and lifting our voices collectively to sing praise and give thanks to God. Nothing, nothing that can replace that. I'm not just singing as an individual. We are singing collectively. You are singing and reminding me of God's goodness. And I'm singing and reminding you of His goodness. And we give thanks together. Because sometimes I'm struggling in my life to know what there is to thank God for. And you raise your voice and give thanks. And it reminds me that while the dark clouds of providence might be over my life, God is working and blessing yours. And I need that. We need that. Listen, I understand that it's hard and I understand that there are temptations and many reasons that you think I should just stay home. It's safer, it's more comfortable, it's more convenient. All of these things, but listen to me. This is the way that the Spirit of God works to draw together the people of God so that collectively we can look upward. It's a Jesus-planted, Spirit-produced, upward-looking and inward-caring community. Verse 42 says that they were devoted, and one of the things they were devoted to was fellowship which is the idea of participation in or or sharing in something. All through this passage, there's this together, together, together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Verse 46, day by day, they continued attending the temple together. These people were devoted to one another. The whole passage speaks of that. The end of verse 44 said they had all things in common. Right? And then there's two specific examples of, of how they are, they are inward caring. And the first example comes in verse 45 that says they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as many as any had need. This is a community that's so committed to one another that when somebody in the community has need, it's not like, that's not my problem. It's a community that's connected in such a way so that when somebody in the community has a need, I immediately begin to think, what resources do I have that I can bring to bear in helping that person in their need? Now, I know some people have totally abused this passage and used it to try and teach some form of socialism and that the early church was socialist and all that stuff, and that's just not there at all. These are people who are taking their own possessions And they are of their own will selling those possessions and bringing their resources to bear to help others who are in need. This was an ongoing thing. It wasn't one act where everybody brought all their stuff, they sold it, and they distributed it evenly. That's not the picture at all. The language is clear. This was an ongoing thing. And if you think this was a utopia where everything was beautiful and perfect and boy, are they just so lovey and sherry and cuddly, just jump ahead to chapter 5. And see what happens with this exact example of unity. Yeah, difficult counseling sessions as a pastor when people die. That's what happens to Peter, right? With Ananias and Sapphira. 
So this isn't perfection, but it shows what, what Luke is doing is he's showing the committed nature of this community. That they're so committed to one another that it's not just in word, but it's in action. That their love and care for one another is in action. So let me ask you this. We'll get a little uncomfortable for a moment. Let me ask you this. Based upon how you use your resources, what would it say about your commitment to community? Based upon how you use your resources, and I say resources because I don't just mean your money, I mean your talents, your abilities, your giftings, your time, all of those things. If we were to able to lay out your resources and look at where those resources are going, what would it say about your commitment to community? And the follow-up question would be, what community would it say you're committed to? What community would it say you're committed to? Would it say you're really committed to your gym community? To that hobby community that you have? To that political community? To that sports community that you have? While we're individualistic in America, we still have communities that we're committed to. And it's amazing the amount of resources we will pour into the communities that we feel committed to. If you don't believe me, just wait for college football season and the amount of money some people put on their cars to let you know the team that they support. They want you to know they're in that community and they're all in. Right? What are your resources saying about the community you're committed to? When, when you hear about needs in this church, and I know many of you are this way, do you immediately think that need is my need? What resources could I bring to bear to help in that situation? Not only are they sharing their resources with one another, but they're also doing this insane thing. It says it in verse 42 and again in verse 46 that they are devoted to breaking bread. And some people want to argue that this is only communion. I don't think that that fits. Is communion part of this? I think so. But they are eating together. That's what they're doing. They're gathering together. Verse 46 would literally mean house to house. So it's not just one place. They are gathering together and they are eating together. There is absolutely nothing like the connectedness of sharing a meal together. And there's nothing like connectedness in sharing a meal, not just at a restaurant somewhere, but inviting someone into your home to eat the food that you've prepared sitting around your table, eating off of the plates that, that you purchased, the silverware that belongs to you and all of those types. There's nothing that compares to the type of connectedness that comes as people gather around the table together and eat together. There's nothing like it. There's nothing at all like it. And this is what they're doing. They're gathering together. They're, they're, they're eating together. Listen, we are embodied people. We have experienced firsthand that no matter how great the technology, no matter how cl clear the Zoom camera can be, no matter how nifty the background is, we're able to drop in behind us, no matter how nice our microphone, nothing replaces face-to-face -face interaction. Nothing replaces that. There is something incredibly dignifying and, and value-declaring uh, when I take the time to sit down in front of another person, when I prepare a meal for that person, and I set it before them, and I say, I want you to eat this, and I want to sit, and I want us to talk together, to interact together. That's what this community is doing, and they're devoted to that, engaging in that way. There are deep relational bonds that are made if people sit around the table together and eat together. When we got to Senegal as a family, there was a lot of things that were different for us. 
Um, but w- when we showed up, it wasn't long before we began attending the church that was in our neighborhood. And some of these same things that you see in this passage that were happening, praising God together, a preaching of the word, although I didn't understand most of it, um, you know, uh, praying together, all those things were happening and we could immediately identify with those things. You know, we, we could immediately identify and even appreciate some of the things that, that, that were going on in this upward facing aspect, but there was this distance between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ there. And some of those distances would remain the entire time. Okay, in case you haven't noticed, I'm white. And the people in Senegal are not. And so I, I didn't even have to open my mouth. I just walked into the room and my difference is broadcast. Right? Culturally, I would never be able to fully identify and sink into the Senegalese culture to the place where I would just understand and grasp all the cultural dynamics that were going on. But as the time went by and years went by, while there were these differences that remain, here's something that did happen that knit our hearts together. It's over and over again, we were in their homes and they were in our home. And many a times we were sitting, not at a table, but on a mat on the floor. And we were not eating amazing things sometimes. It was more that beginning prayer of God, help me get this down and please help it to stay down. You're not eating with fine china, you're eating with your hand. And you're sitting there with people and they're going from the language you understand to a tribal language you don't understand back to a language you understand and things are going on around you and you don't fully get it. But in that moment, as this great, this great connectedness is taking place, And I'm sitting and I'm hearing their stories of how they came to faith in Christ. And they're hearing how we ended up in Senegal. And as those relationships begin to come together, even with all of the differences that remain, as we were there those years, our hearts were knit with those Senegalese brothers and sisters in Christ and we came together to worship. And even though at times the women would still break out into some song in Jola, which I do not know, and they would start dancing and doing their noises and all this, I didn't know it. I couldn't join in that way. But man, I knew my heart was bound with theirs. Those were my sisters in Christ. And I could look at them and I could say certain ones to them. I knew how they had come to faith in Christ. I knew the people in their family they were praying for. I knew the struggles they were having. My heart was bound with theirs. Church, we've got to be together. The Sunday morning gathering is incredibly important. Absolutely crucial. It's one of our main upward facing times and it's absolutely crucial. But listen to me. I say this with love for you. If this is the only time you are gathering with the people of God, you are missing out. You are missing out. If you come in here and you're here for the gathering and then as soon as the the final song is saying you're out of here or maybe you go steal a cookie and then you leave, if that's what's happening, if you're not meeting with one another, if you're not inviting people into your home to sit around the table with you, listen to me, you're not going to feel connected to this community because you're not going to know how the people around you came to faith in Christ. You're not going to know. One of the amazing things that has been as we've come back and, and the time that I've been here as pastor is to be able to get to know more of your stories. To hear about how you came to faith in Christ and then how the Lord has grown you, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're rejoicing in. 
Remember back when I said the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God? Well, guess what? There's not a big sign above all of our heads going, this is what the Spirit is doing in my life. The Spirit of God doesn't show up in power like superheroes. Oh, this guy got multiply bread power, and this guy got walk on water power. It doesn't work that way. What does it require? It requires sitting with one another and hearing that the Spirit of God worked, how He worked in Cecil's life to bring him, bring him to faith in Christ. And how he's grown him all of these years. Not in height, but you know, just. And spirituality. Right? And then as you come together, you come together, and then I look down the row, and I see the people who are taking communion with me, and I cannot even tell you how much my heart rejoices. There's something about being together and I encourage you to do it with that in mind. What we have called for quite some time, eat, see, we're, we're relaunching it and we're basing it off of this passage, calling it house to house. And, and it's, a, it's just an opportunity, a format for you to get people into your home and for you to get into the homes of other people. Not so you can examine their closets and see, just, just so you can spend time with them. So there'll be an email going out to sign up to do, be a part of this house to house ministry where uh, it's all organized. You'll get together with a group of people, whether you're a couple or a single or those things. We'll get these, these groups assigned and then you will be set up to meet in people's homes. And let me tell you, it, it's a great thing to be a part of. So this is a Jesus-planted, spirit-produced, inward care, upward-facing, inward-caring, and then finally an outward-reaching community, an outward-reaching community. Verse 46 tells us that they're going to the temple, which may seem a little odd, but prayer in the temple was very normal for them. And then we will find out in the next chapter that I think one of the reasons they're going to the temple is to share the message of Jesus Christ. Verse 47 tells us that they were open to newcomers, that outsiders are coming in all of the time into this community. The Lord, the, the, the end of verse 47 says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Right before that in verse uh, 46, it tells us, uh, or excuse me, earlier in verse 47, it tells us that they were having favor with all people. Now I just, I, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I think there could have been a temptation for them to think, no, we're the original crew, right? I mean, we were the original. We started this thing. And now who are you? You're going to come in. Oh, we were there at the day of Pentecost. Were you there? Oh, you weren't there. You go sit over there. Right? That's not the attitude that they had. It's not a community that says, ah, here's our basis. Our basis is we're getting it all right. So we're going to sit over here and we're going to scowl at the rest of the people out there and go, they're all getting it wrong, dumb people. That's not the basis of the community. The basis of the community is the, the gracious work of the Lord Jesus Christ to seek these people out that they might be saved. The gracious work of the Spirit of God to indwell them. And so now they are extending that towards outsiders. There is an understanding in their relation with those outside that they are welcome to become a part of this group. And what is happening well, it, as the text tells us, the Lord is adding to their number. Part of being upward facing meant that they had to be outward reaching. Because if you notice the way Luke writes this, God didn't give them a choice. Did you notice that? 
It didn't say they were doing great evangelistic campaigns and people were being saved. No, it says the Lord added to their number. God was doing this. He was adding to their number. Those who, passive verb, were being saved, not saving themselves, were being saved by the work of God. There is no way that a truly upward-facing community cannot be an outward-reaching community. There's no way. Because as we already talked about and been reminded of, this was the very commission of God to his people. That this work that Jesus had fully accomplished would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the more they were upward-facing, acknowledging their dependence on God, entrusting themselves to the Word of God, to the teaching of the apostles, praising God, they would gain the heart of God, which was not that they huddle up together, have a nice, safe community, but know that they would be outward reaching to those who needed to hear. And so there you have it. A Jesus-planted, Spirit-produced, upward-facing, inward-caring, outward-reaching community. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're going, I don't even understand all this. What community is this that we're talking about? I don't understand how you get to be a part of this community. If that's what's running through your mind this morning, then, then, then let me just encourage you to go back and read Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke. And be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ because this group that was a part of this community didn't get in because they were a cut above. They didn't get in because they were better than others. They didn't get in because they had figured it all out. They got in because the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. And if you have questions about who Jesus is and what it means to be a part of this community, please, please, Ask someone here. Please dig deeper into God's word. Come to understand that entrance into this community comes by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us here this morning and we, we say to ourselves, I've placed my faith in Christ. Praise God for that. Remember this, that Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. He saved you from sin, from condemnation, from the kingdom of darkness, yes. But He saved you to His family. He saved you into His kingdom. He saved you and put you in His church. You are a part of something that's more than just you. And there is no way, here's the thing, there's no way you can understand the fullness of this great salvation that God the Father through God the Son has accomplished and applied to you through God the Spirit if you are not committed and engaged in the community of God into which God has saved you. So my encouragement to you is to lean in. Programs and strategies can help us, but they can't produce this kind of community. This kind of community takes the work of the Spirit as He works in each one of us, binding us together and igniting us, not so that we exist as an exclusive community doing our own thing, but so that we are ignited and empowered to go out from this place to accomplish the mission of God by the Spirit of God as the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you that it is not 
man's idea. It's, it's no individual person's idea. Nobody came up with this and programmed it. This is the work that you accomplish through your son applied by your spirit and we praise you for it. I pray for this church that we would be an upward facing, inward caring and outward reaching community by the work of your spirit and that we would continue to grow in that work to the glory of your son and to the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.